Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages and everyone in between, you're very welcome to Tura Laura, the podcast for myself and Christian Dugstad are exploring folk songs of many varieties from all over the world. And we are here on a lovely Thursday evening to bring you the finest of information about folk music. Are we, Christian? <laughs> we sure are. Oh, you're sounding like a professional host at this stage. Congratulations. <laughs> you swear I what I was talking about. Thank yeah. you. I've been practicing. <laughs> it's it's good to put on the podcast face, uh, especially when we're not live on Facebook and people can't see that you are uh, a little bit bollocks from having to think about the fact that you're doing a health and safety exam tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm literally in bed. I have my microphone in bed and I have a duvet wrapped around your head. head. Just as sort of a, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to see if it, if it has any effect on, on the sound. <laughs> but really, it's are you just thinking you're going to spend every podcast recording session with a blanket on your head from now on? Uh, probably in the hopes not. That we'll have better quality sound. It's just a great excuse for feeling super <laughs> comfortable. It's, it's really windy outside. Um, the, the, the summer is definitely coming to an end. Over here, Ooh. I don't know. And over here, we've had the hottest day that we've had in about a month. Fantastic. Today was like a sum- summer's day all over again. It was pretty hot, and everybody was out beaching and sunning themselves. Congratulations! <laughs> no, it's it's been it's been good here most days now, but but we're it's getting windy, and um, there is more rain than there has been for a while. So so I see see that the summer is. When does the uh, snow come in? Uh we're we're talking uh, we're talking at, at least not and we might like if we're lucky or unlucky depending on on how you look at it uh we could get some snow in October um more probably not until November and sometimes in Oslo we don't have snow until like in the city we could have not have any snow until January or we could not have snow at all but if you go uh, half an hour by by underground or well it's not literally underground by but by by the tube uh, outside of of the city center up uh, up into the woods there are meters and meters of snow and uh, fantastic conditions for skiing usually all the way from from November until March, so you should horse yourself onto a travel podcast and give them some info. <laughs> yeah, discoverNorway.com. If anyone's interested, I I could come on and I could talk about Norway. But there are probably other people that are better suited to that uh, for for doing that than me. And this I do is listen to several part. podcasts about life in Norway. There's a very good life in Norway podcast actually. It, is I, there? That I listen to quite often. Yeah. Oh, really? They get a lot of expats that come and live in Norway and they explore their lives and interview them. And successful business people and artists and all that kind of stuff that come to Norway and talk about what it means to live in Norway and live away from home. It's interesting. I can't remember the name of it now, actually. Let me check. Yeah, go on. Go on. I used, I used to, around this time last year, I was pining for travel and I got, I got into a lot of travel podcasts. I was listening to the... Um, the El Camino podcast about the Camino in Spain and I was listening to Life in Norway podcast. Interesting. 
There's an <laughs> I, interesting guy that get, he interviews pilgrims that do the Camino over in the north of Spain, and they they have some interesting stories. He gets a lot of Irish people on actually. <laughs> I just for a moment there, I I tried to imagine what what this would be like if if our whole friendship was was sort of opposite life in Norway show so not very interesting <laughs> it, <laughs> not 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 a very unique title we could have guessed that but yeah, yeah I tried to David Nickel life in Norway and he talks about if Norway really is the happiest place on earth but there's some really interesting episodes on that. that's that's interesting but yeah I, I tried to imagine now what it would be like if if we were opposite and uh, I was uh, a master of Norwegian traditional music and you you had Norway as your obsession and <laughs> was learning Norwegian and spoke English with a Norwegian accent and but I mean I do love Norwegian yeah, Not the language Nor Norway in general. I love yeah. and the music and everything. I even applied Christian to do a PhD there, but alas I know and alack, it wasn't to be. It, well, not yet. Let's let's <laughs> um, let's see what happens, what the future holds, and we're yeah. in a little bit of a future. I'm not going to say futuristic, but we're we're looking we're looking towards the future in this in this podcast, or we're looking maybe. A little bit backwards and a little bit forwards uh, with what we're talking about today. Uh, but before we get into all of that, uh, will we do a little bit of housekeeping? So Housekeeping. We, housekeeping. We have an email address. Josh, what is our email address? I'd imagine it has something to do with two O's twice over and several letters on the other side of them. Something like Lura podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Again, two O's in each. Yes, indeed. We're Total all Laura. we're all owned by by the lads over there at Google, so they can read all of our emails. But uh, please <laughs> they can make sure em. that they have something interesting to read. So send us in emails. Send us in voice messages. Send us in thoughts and suggestions, and and really just use it to vent. Absolutely. Tell us whatever you want. So that's there, tourallurepodcast at gmail.com. But that's not the only way to contact us. You can find us on the Facebook. Just search for Tourallura. You'll find us. The same goes for Instagram, another Facebook company. We're sucking up to the big dogs in Silicon Valley. Uh, Podcast is our handle. What? And Dublin. And, and They're Dublin. not just in Silicon Valley anymore. They're yeah. roaming the streets of Zandyford. Yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> so, uh, email, Facebook, Instagram, that is the, the way to go to get in touch with the lads of Turalura, myself, Christian, and my good friend Josh over there. You can also find our personal pages. We have personal music pages on, on Facebook and on Instagram. Christian Duxted, Josh O'Loughlin, that is us. And you can write us reviews in, of course. You you know that all all of that jazz. But speaking of ways to contact us, should we get into this, Josh? We had an email recently, and if I'm not mistaken, that email came as sort of a result um of, of a conversation that you had in a different country. All of things that are blowing my mind in the middle of this this <laughs> corona 
hate or telling people that I'm leaving the country. No, it's it's absolutely (laughs) insane. But I'm looking forward to getting into this. So, Josh, what email have we gotten this We have gotten an email... Yeah, so several of my banjo students are actually coincidentally from Wales and they've been avid listeners of the podcast ever since we started. And by some mad stroke of luck or genius on someone's part, or I, I don't fucking know, things are starting to open up in the UK and I was invited over to Cardiff to do some gigs in an Irish bar and I was playing over there last weekend and I'll be playing over there again next weekend in Jack Russell's Irish bar in Whitchurch in... Cardiff, which is fucking brilliant, but by coincidence, my students are from there, and Sarah Lockyer came in with her friend to see my gig, and I ended up having a chat with her, and she was talking about the podcast and said that she really wants to hear us do a particular song, but then, before I had even made it home from Wales, we had gotten a nice email from her, hope you guys are keeping well, I'd like to request a song, when you were sweet 16, it's my absolute favourite by the Furies, and I'd like to hear what you guys come up with. I've really enjoyed listening to all the podcasts and the stories around them, plus the guests you've had on so far. Thanks for keeping me entertained. Sarah Louise Lockyer. Up. Nice to know we're entertaining people. Thanks. Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> that's that's fantastic. And uh, it is um, a song that uh, I knew that was it was going to happen because uh, uh, I, I know very well that Josh has... Uh, a, a a professional relationship with this song to put it uh, to put it that way uh, and it is uh, for sure maybe w- one of the most famous songs that this band plays that I'm 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 yeah. tangling myself up in in weird uh, ways of of getting to the point here but the point is that we're doing we're doing this we're doing when you were <laughs> we're sweet doing six, we're doing this we're doing it live um we're doing when you were sweet 16 and instead of of making a mini audio drama or playing the song or or doing anything like that i i would like you josh i would like to invite you to to set the mood of uh, your memory of this song how how you usually um, perform this and and i'm imagining a theater or something in somewhere in england um and just just a a, a load of of um the the older generation in the audience and this uh, this song being introduced and and there just being a wave of of uh, of emotions just mm-hmm. rolling over over the crowd yeah you're not wrong like you picture a dark old school theater that looks like it belongs in the 17 or 18th century <laughs> and it's in england and I wouldn't say it's run down. Some of them are lovely old theatres and they're just full to the brim with the old Irish diaspora, the people who left Ireland to go. And as we mentioned in several podcasts, like um, the Sick Note, they would have left a long time ago to go over and work and kind of built lives there or not built lives there. Some of them might be a little bit bitter about home and all that. 
but they all have one thing in common and that is music and the music of their time was the music of the Furies and it's really interesting having had the chance to travel around the likes of the UK with the Furies and play in all these theatres to be able to come across these people and talk to them and hear some of their stories but yeah you're in a dark old theatre and this song was the one that every it's probably the most requested song by that generation and type of people if you know what I mean like they would all ask for this song and request it and sing along and it's an incredible feeling playing in somewhere like I don't know the Barbican in London and having an entire room full of a thousand seventy to eighty year old Irish people that haven't been home in 40 years and they all start singing along it's one of the best experiences that I had with the band I used to take my in-ear headphones out when this song started just because I wanted to hear the crowd as opposed to anything else because the whole audience just sings out you know and they know it's coming they know it's coming because you're on stage and I remember the first time I played this I had never had any formal rehearsals with the Furies. <laughs> I rang them up and they asked me to join the band for some tours. And I said, yeah, no problem. Because like being the musician that I was, I was used to like for those type of gigs, theatres and tours, you would rehearse a lot and you would head off and you would do it. And I said, when do you want to practice or what are the songs? And I can't, I can't remember which of them I spoke to, but he laughed at me and said, Jesus, we won't be that formal now. We'll see you at the gig. <laughs> I said, right, okay. So I kind of had to fend for myself. I at least knew what key the song was in. And the pressure was on because, like, of anything you could do with that band, the banjo riff at the start of that song is probably the most important thing that they do. And that's landing on me when I'm standing on stage looking out at all these people. And uh, George just starts playing the guitar and I have to play the riff. And it goes something like this. And like from the first note, you get this gasp of exasperation from the crowd as soon as you start playing it. And then slowly from left to right, they all start clapping. And it's something I have never experienced like at the beginning of a song, but it's just so well recognized and I love it. Like the first two notes of the song, the crowd is going wild, let alone at the end. And it is, it's one of those gorgeous songs that they picked up and made famous. It's beautiful. Absolutely fantastic. It's a great Absolutely moment, like fantastic, yeah. Being on stage and being the one that's kind of instigating that is a uh, very interesting. The power you have in in your hand and in those two notes when you're sitting there yeah. with the banjo, that's and that's, that's all it takes. And they actually took me aside because they wanted to make sure that those two notes were the way they needed to be and I had to spend an hour one day at a rehearsal not a rehearsal they don't do rehearsals I had to spend an hour a day at a sound check we'll call it with the sound engineer actually tuning how much reverb we were going to have on those two notes to get it the right sound 
like that the people would be able to react exactly the right way to it. I was actually told to s sit with the sound engineer to get the exact frequencies going, which was fun. But um, yeah, that I had to I had to try it with the capo in different places. Try it with the pick. Try it without the pick. Finally, we settled on just using my thumb. And actually, after a few weeks, they said, don't use your thumb anymore, use the pick. So I had to change it again and use a lighter pick. <laughs> it's amazing the really subtle difference, because Finbar Fury was the man who played the banjo riff on that in the original version. Yeah. And he played five-string banjo, obviously. And oh. he has this really subtle touch with his five-string that he does something with his fingernail on his thumb, on his right hand. And it look... It's a banjo, you know it's a banjo and it sounds like a banjo, but the way it rings is just so reverby and nice and ridiculous, but it's impossible to mimic on a four string. Yeah. You're just never going to get it the same way. So I had to experiment with a hundred different picks and like different strings and different reverbs and different frequencies in the EQ of the banjo. And we eventually got something that like, it, it's never going to be the same as exactly what Finbar did, but it was close and it was nice and the people loved it, so... Hopefully it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was. Oh my God. That's amazing. I love, I love stories like that. I love, uh, and I, I love how, how uh, immortal a recording, like, like what you're saying there, like that banjo riff became and just the sound of it and and the and the sound of that specific banjo which probably at you like correct me if i'm wrong but at the stage when this was recorded by the furies they like it was probably all a bit of a coincidence how, just how it turned out and and it has become something completely immortal yeah the Furies have been well known for using kind of banjo riffs in some of their most well-known famous songs. And he loves, Finbar loved having that sound, just that riff in the kind of slow Irish songs. Because it's not something that a banjo would generally do. A banjo was always known for being in the fast songs and the kind of driving ballads. So I'd say they were probably one of the first bands that was pioneering kind of using the banjo in a slow, harmonic way to kind of bring out the emotion in things, which you don't get often. But it yeah. sounds nice and it works. And Finbar was probably the king of that, you know. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's it's that's very interesting because I remember Dennis Cahill. We're we're going into a bit of uh, name dropping here, but he I I remember him him uh, in a guitar workshop. Dennis Cahill being a guitarist that plays with Martin Hayes that we've mm -hmm. mentioned before. One of one of the absolute biggest um irish fiddle players of our time uh but he was he was talking a lot about the, um, the like the, pu the percussiveness of the banjo how how and it, it's it's a good point that the banjo has it's it's very naturally very short and snappy mm -hmm. and it's it's not exactly lending itself to drones to put it that way <laughs> Uh, so so using it that way, uh, it's it might be counterintuitive, uh, in in one way, but it's when you do it like that, it's so it can be so haunting. Yep, absolutely. And they have it in several of their songs, like several of their hits. Another great song from the Furies that has a really memorable banjo riff is "Dreaming My Dreams," and the riff, it's it's actually quite similar and. The other one that they had was 
uh, I Will Love You, which is a ridiculously famous. It's almost up there with Sweet 16 in terms of the reaction it would get from the crowd. And of course, the two songs that are the most important that kind of rely on this audience to react a certain way to the song, they were the two ones that I had to lead into with these banjo riffs. <laughs> Without but, um, having rehearsed. <laughs> I suppose I knew what I was getting into when I was going on tour with the Furies, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, that's that's really that's really cool, and we've obviously everyone know now knows what song we're talking about, and and uh, but um, but the Furies, can you just say a little bit about them, and just tell us a bit about the history of of the band? Mm-hmm. Well, the Furies are brothers from Ballyfermot in Dublin, and they would have started out. Really very much in the same way as a lot of the big-time musicians of the folk scene in Ireland in the 60s, 70s. And they would have played all around the world. Like, they they were O'Donoghue's heads, much like the Dubliners and Planksty and all of them. Donoghue's seemed to be a real hub back in the day yeah. for folk music and trad music and especially balladeers. And Eddie Fury himself told me stories like that they were actually the first band to ever play in O'Donoghue's. At least in Eddie's words, that is what he said. He used to go in with his dad and his brother Finbar and they used to do trad sessions in the back room and they were the first people to play out there. Class. Again, according to Eddie. Correct me if I'm wrong, folks. Send me a message. <laughs> um, Are we going to get a message in now? I was there in 1963 <laughs> and there was a session we got. <laughs> but yeah, so basically from playing in there, they got to know... The Clancy Brothers, who we've mentioned many, many times many in this podcast. Times. And Eddie and Finbar had released one or two albums as a duo. And they ended up being brought over to America by Liam Clancy to be their backing band. So the Fury Brothers actually played with the Clancy's on stage at most gigs across America. And that's kind of how they got in on the scene and got to know them. And they became really good friends with Liam Clancy. And Eddie actually tells a great story about the first time he was brought to America by Liam Clancy. And Liam Clancy flew over to Ireland and asked him to come back and do gigs. They were going playing on the Ed Sullivan show and doing other things like that, I think. I'm not sure what. But um, Eddie had to get his visa. So Liam waited for him to get his visa and decided to fly back to America with him. So they flew back into America and they got one of the signature yellow taxis into the city from JFK. And he said, um, Liam pointed out at the skyline and said, have you ever seen anything like it in your life? And Eddie said, jeez, no, I never thought I'd see that. Like, it's great. It's brilliant to be in America doing gigs, and I can't believe it. Um, by the way, Liam, what's the name of the pub we're playing in tonight? And Liam said, the pub we're playing in tonight, Eddie, is a little place called Carnegie Hall. <laughs> 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 and Eddie says, jeez, I still thought it was a pub until I showed up at the door. <laughs> Jesus. And he said, he said, like when they played there that night, um, on the bill the same night was Bob Dylan and Peter Paul and Mary, and Sadie West and a lot of other musicians like that. But they really met everyone over the years, you know, through the Clancy's. But after the Clancy's, then they went on and they formed the Furies because their other brother George had been playing with a band called the Buskers, and they had just been traveling so much together that they decided to go at it full time. So they formed the Furies, and they had countless hit songs over the years yeah. and played all over the world yeah. with everyone 
Absolutely everyone. But yeah, they're just a really, really, like you sh- if you haven't heard them folks and you're listening to this podcast, then there's something not right in the mix, to be honest, because of all of all the bands that have brought folk songs to the forefront, they'd be one of the top. I know you have the Dubliners and you have Planksty and all that, but the Furies are very much up there with them. You should go and check them out, especially the back catalogs. The old stuff, the 60s, 70s, 80s, fucking ridiculous how good the songs are that people forget about. The hits are good, but the non-hits are actually equally as good in my opinion. So that's the Furies for a long story short. Sorry about that. No, no, no. That's Jesus. That's why we're here, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, Eddie George and Finbar, and Finbar left in 1999 and went solo, and he does his own thing. And Finbar is very accomplished and incredible musician in his own right too they're all fucking brilliant to be honest it was an honour to get to play with them because they're still going like this band that was playing in the 60s and they're still going and I think they said they've made 42 albums over the years it's absolutely insane and and just the fact that they're they're living that life still one thing is to to still be playing and still still making albums but that they're still they're still travelling and they're still they're still driving around the UK and mainland Europe uh in in a van and going to different uh different uh, the old theaters to, to mm-hmm. just to play all these songs at at a very uh, uh accomplished age mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's the impressive two boys, like they're in their 70s now i think well, no, George isn't 70 yet, but Eddie is definitely 75 or 76. And George is 66, I would say, something like that. And they have a band behind them and they keep going, they plough on. And that's impressive in itself. And they drive more or less everywhere, don't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Unless now the gig is in Abu Dhabi or something, I doubt you'd be driving down there. Yeah. They've gigged in Abu Dhabi in the last few years. <laughs> no, that's that's but, um, amazing. Yeah, I did I did the UK and I did Ireland and I did Holland and a bit of Belgium and a small bit of Germany with them over 2018, 2019. Fun times. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um oh, there was something else I was thinking about about the Furies. Um and I'm after forgetting it completely, but it, it might hit me um in a moment or two. But but before uh before that time we, we might or in, in the meantime we might as well just do a little bit of, of facts here. Cause um when you were sweet sixteen, which is the song that we're talking about here, uh is um is a much older song. It's it was written or at least published in in eighteen ninety eight, so yeah. that is a hundred and twenty four years ago. Three year, one hundred and twenty three years ago. Now, <laughs> so a, a bit so older. That, that is getting the on. Furious. The person that wrote it is a little bit older. Yeah, than the no, he, I I doubt he's driving around the UK and Holland and and if he was, Denmark he'd be causing bother for a lot of people. They'd be yeah. going home with some mental anguish. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, James well, Thornton yeah. was his name. He was, as far as I've been able to gather, he was uh, an Irish American. Um, let's see now. Born in Dublin or Liverpool, uncertain, in eighteen sixty one, 
and he died in New York, New York, uh, in 1938, aged 76. And he he wrote the song to his um to his wife, uh. Which you you said was was named Bonnie, Josh? Yeah, Bonnie Thornton, and she was actually a popular vaudeville singer in her own right in the United States. But um, now I'm not sure how true it is, but I was under the impression that it was written after her death, and that he wrote it in a kind of a loving, nostalgic way. But I might be wrong, because it says here I'm I'm, I'm looking at Irish Music Daily, but I've heard these stories from the Furies themselves too about the song that he got the idea for the song from an off-the-cuff remark he made to his wife. Um, when she was feeling a little secure, insecure one day, she asked him if he still loved her, and he said, I love you as I loved you when you were 16. Um, whereas his songwriter's instinct kicked in immediately, and he realised that he would not only provide a good line for a song, but also an excellent theme on which a complete song could be based. Now, Fia, have you ever had any songwriter's moments like that, Christian? Oh, yeah, sure. I, I think um I'm not gonna I'm not gonna drop any songs here now, but I'm pretty sure a few of the things that I've written that I personally like best has been based on on just sitting down and, and just having one line or a couple of words just pop into mm-hmm. your head and just yeah. go from there. You just have to write it down. Like, I think some of my favorite songs that I've written myself have just written themselves within a few minutes once I get yeah. an idea randomly. Um, going back on the Bonnie Thornton thing and the fact that she was a singer, um, the song was first published in eight, 1898, like you said, by Whitmark and Sons in New York and Chicago. And like I've said many times, the publishing of songs was what happened back then because it was all published in books. There was no such thing as CDs or recordings. And it says, the cover of the sheet music announces that the song had been sung with great success by Bonnie Thornton and also sung with success by Raymond Moore, another popular vaudeville singer of the day. So this was another one of those songs doing the rounds in the living rooms over in New York, Christian. Yeah. The, uh, the sheet music, here's an interesting one. The sheet music is described as being arranged for a five-band orchestra, banjo, mandolin, guitar. This is not far removed from the Furies version recorded nearly a hundred years later, <laughs> featuring two guitars, a banjo, a violin, and an accordion. Oh, brilliant. That's that's class. <laughs> but that's fantastic actually to to have proof that um that it was written for a lineup that is somewhat similar to what we would consider a folk lineup today. Because <laughs> it's it's easy now to 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 sort of ruin your I'm not gonna say, not ruin, but to to really get your, uh, that that feeling of of folk music, get that completely shattered by the thought of of all of these songs being played, uh, on a happy piano in the living room by by people <laughs> play, like back to back with the entertainer going like do 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 do, and I and mean these... that was probably the only way a lot of them could play it because I'm sure not many of the living rooms over in, in America at the time had five band orchestras with banjos and mandolins yeah. no, at their w- disposal. <laughs> but, for... but you're right, like it's deadly that it's actually at that time written for a five band orchestra like yeah. that. And it was like, I keep bringing it back, and Kelly actually wrote in and said that I should be getting a banjo episode because oh, you got you a will. pipes episode. Like, you <laughs> Take what the, is yours, Josh. 
be a I man will. or or a woman, will. woman. But the whole the whole banjo thing <laughs> again, folks, to draw it out of everyone there over in America in the vaudeville acts on stage, it was rare you wouldn't see a banjo. And actually, the Flanagan brothers, who we should talk about at some point very soon, Christian, yeah. were the, the kings of vaudeville in America, and they came from Ireland, and they played banjos, and they sang songs like My Lovely Irish Molly, and they would have very much brought Irish vaudeville to the forefront over there, so you can thank them for some of that as well. Fantastic. But yeah, banjo on the stage in an orchestra. I love to see it. <laughs> well, you've been you've been a banjo on on the stage uh, in an orchestra several times, if I'm not mistaken. I, I have begun. But uh, yeah, no, the vaudeville acts they're they're haunting us in this podcast. It hadn't it mm-hmm. been for this podcast, I I would have never even heard the word vaudeville, and now <laughs> it's uh, it's one so of much so much of the folk music we have today originated in the vaudeville acts of the US in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And I've said it too many times. It's probably getting repetitive for e poor folks out there at home, but it's fucking interesting. And actually, if you get into it, the vaudeville music is brilliant. It's so and, good. And just to, to do a quick, for for anyone that are like me, uh, who who forget like the details of what exactly was vaudeville again? I'm I'm just gonna read this Wikipedia this introductory paragraph. Vaudeville, or French vaudeville, is a theatrical genre of variety entertainment born in France at the end of the 19th century. A vaudeville was originally a comedy without psychological or moral intentions based on a comical situation, a dramatic composition or light poetry interspersed with songs or ballets. And it became popular in the United States and Canada from the early 1880s until the early 1930s. But the idea of vaudeville's theatre changed radically from its French <laughs> antecedent. I was about to say it's very, uh, very thick and ironic that something that was supposed to have no political aims ended up including minstrel acts and things yeah. like that. But yeah, no, like check out the Flanagan brothers. You want to get some good taste for vaudeville. You'll have all of them over there with banjos, but I'm talking like chords like you have the old banjo oh, I'm doing it again you have the <laughs> the old plectrum banjos which have a much longer neck than the Irish tenor banjo that we all know and love today and they used to capo the second fret for all of you music enthusiasts and because it was tuned CGDA so if you put a capo on the second fret you could play in the same tuning as the mandolin and the violin and it was all chords <laughs> That's why in the vaudeville music you hear that kind of dunk, 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 sounds like a feckin' some kind of deeper, more ringy outy ukulele. Ringy outy, that's a good adjective. Did I mention that Josh wrote a master's thesis on <laughs> on banjo? It's coming, it's coming, we're doing an episode. Yeah. You, you and it's going to be about to the Flanagan brothers. Do you, do you have like for for the piping episode we we chose a song specifically just for for the purpose of being a backdrop. So I'm I'm very interested in seeing what song you're going to choose as a pure backdrop for a banjo episode. <laughs> Leave it with me. Is it going to be dueling banjos? Jesus, it, it's not. 
are are you gonna try to to push us into having an episode called uh the mason's apron (laughs) no because it's not a song sadly and i'm gonna stick to my morals yeah no but i'm i'm really looking forward to it i'm really looking forward to you talking about banjos without apologizing every other sentence (laughs) Because sure there's I any banjo players out there, yeah, we know any that Kelly is. Out there will um, appreciate it. Kelly is asking for it. Kelly has been asking for that banjo episode uh, now, uh, for, for actually for a long time. But but as far as I remember, You're getting but Kelly after very excited with all these references in the podcast, she yeah, keeps no, sharing us on Instagram. That's fine. She she can. <laughs> I'm I'm happy. I'm happy to entertain. Uh, but yeah, after the piping episode, <laughs> she sent us a, a message saying that uh, it's about damn time that uh, Josh gets his uh, banjo episode. If, if it's I coming, can. there's going to be a lot of references to a very interesting academic book that I had to read and quote from for my thesis called <laughs> That Half Barbaric Twang The History of the Banjo in North America. Oh, that's we'll get We'll get into it another time. I've, yeah. got, I've got yes, that's right, folks. I have academic books about the history of the banjo. I'm a very interesting individual. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to like. <laughs> I like how how we in the in the um, Scotland the Brave episode when we have had Nikolai on, we were talking about how how the two of you met and how you were a little bit uh, uh, freaked out <laughs> by the fact that he his in like your introduction to him was him reading like random word <laughs> histories from a huge etymology that I had in my shelf. But to be honest, like I could see people getting a little bit like scared if they sat down beside you and uh, and you were a little bit uh, spaced out from from the drink and you started lecturing them on the history of the banjo in North America <laughs> see I'd, I'd break the ice first I'd make sure that they're into it before I start spouting nonsense actually it's yeah. not nonsense well, it's not nonsense me, it's I like depends we, who you're all... talking to but I, I think that's that's the thing about being I, w- a nerd I won't like be putting that. it up on my tinder page like I'll put it to you that way yeah, no, we're 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 all nerds like that. I I've told very uninterested people uh, about the ins and outs of competitive pipe band. So, Jesus, as we've heard last week, or yeah, the week before, and and yeah. even more people have been lectured on the importance of the, the of the cultural and political importance of the Irish language. On random parties, so you'd be surprised on the cultural and political importance of the banjo in Irish music. Jesus, we won't we're, get into that either. We're we're getting there. We're getting there soon. <laughs> Speaking of Scotland, Christian, yes, we're getting back on a throwback here from last week. I kissed you as I did on Old Lang Syne. Oh yeah, what's the story? Uh, I I don't know the, what the story of um of why he's mentioning it, but I kissed you like I did. On Old Lang Syne, which is interesting. Old Lang Syne is a parting song uh, written by Robert Burns. Um, and uh, a parting song or parting songs is is a particularly Scottish tradition of, of singing a song at the end of at the end of a, a gathering. Uh, and everybody knows Old Lang Syne because it's it's become just it's becomes a synonym with with. New Year's Eve all around the world, especially in America. 
Um, but but it's sung um, in in many occasions, like at the end of a Burns night, or um, yeah, other other occasions where where people part. But there are a host of different parting songs. The Parting Glass is another, which mm-hmm. I personally find a much more haunting song than an Old Lang Syne, because um, the Old Lang Syne has um, very uplifting. Uh, uplifting yeah. lyric to message it. of hope message of hope um how does it go let the um, let all the acquaintance uh, the, should oh, all the acquaintance be forgotten be f- and never and brought never, to mind should all the yeah uh, for old lang syne my dear for old lang syne will so what does old lang syne itself actually mean i know we should be doing this in a separate episode but what what do those words mean it means um times gone by i had to okay. google it I had to go. And is that Scots? That is uh, Scots, I believe. Old, obviously, is 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 old. Um, uh, and Lang Syne. Long time. Long. Um, let me let me do a little bit of of research as we are great at doing. Oh, did you know that there's actually there's a a Gaelic. Translation and Cor Sean Lucht Ailis Roll a Bacht. I, 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 I can't speak Scots Gaelic, neither can I. Uh, but let's see. Um, the title can be translated into standard English as Old Long Since. Okay, oh, okay, yeah. but sense. less literally, Long Long Ago, yeah. So so yeah no that that makes sense he kissed her like he did in the olden days Mhm Nice Lovely The lyrics they're not very they're not very long they're they're only a couple no, of verses not. and and there's really just the one verse and the chorus that is sung you told me Yeah Yeah funnily enough like most versions of the song that you hear and most people that play it only play the first verse and then play the chorus twice and to be honest, like when we were playing in theaters and things, that's what we did. But like, I think that's all the Furies do in their version anyway. But people sing along and they repeat the chorus so much. Like the chorus is what's known, you know. Yeah. And the riff, obviously. All the old ones going, la, 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 la. But, um, <laughs> oh <my>. yeah, it's, <laughs> it's funny, like, because there is a second verse to it that you don't hear too often and a few people that I've played with around Dublin and further afield have played the second verse and it's nice it's nice it adds to the nostalgia I suppose I, I, I there, just, sorry yeah no I, I was just going to say I, I just realised that we, we didn't actually explain why we went into Old Lang Syne <laughs> which which might be fair to the audience here that the reason why we mentioned it is because it's mentioned in in when you were sweet 16 in that second in, verse that, in that, that second verse which is rarely sung so so but we yeah go on josh we can we can read through the lyrics actually since they're so short but but say what you yeah. you were gonna say um i can't even remember exactly but i was just gonna say that the lyrics themselves it says as it says in irish music daily have great strength in them because it's the way it conjures up a sense of warmth and nostalgia without tipping too far towards sentimentality and the third the third Ugh, words. The third line of the second verse mentions all Lang Syne, like we said. So if you were wondering and feeling a bit fake and confused, that's why. Yeah. Um 
referring to happy times and days gone by, a sentiment completely in keeping with the theme of looking back into the Halicon days of being Sweet 16. Do you remember anything from when you were Sweet 16, Christian? Um, yes, Sweet 16. So that must have been the first year of secondary school. Yeah, I, re- I remember stuff. I remember loads <laughs> of stuff, but probably it's either uninteresting or non-broadcastable not that i was doing crazy stuff but just i I don't want to get into it (laughs) yeah i'd agree thinking back i'd agree yeah it was a strange time being 16 (laughs) over here like as as with yourself that's that's another thing i i am gonna read through the lyrics but to me the concept of Sweet Sixteen, because I I didn't know this song before I got into Irish music, and actually much later, uh, I I think I hadn't heard it until you started playing with the Furies, actually. Um, okay. but Sweet Sixteen to me is it it only has one connotation, and that is American TV. Yeah, <laughs> the American uh, teenage birthdays with kids. Like to me and probably to you, sixteen year olds are are literally children still. They're like they're they're yeah they're young ad- adults maybe, but they certainly shouldn't be able to drive a fucking car, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Well, well in you have my all those cultural... MTV shows. What? <laughs> you have all those MTV shows like my super sweet sixteen with yeah. all the spoiled rich teenagers yeah, given out to their parents for not get buying them Lamborghinis for their birthday and. All of this stuff, and then on the other side of the scale, you have sixteen and pregnant on MTV as well. Yeah. So Jeez. this is giving you the scale of sixteen-year-olds nowadays compared to back then when they're meeting each other in the village green. It's it's yeah, it's insane. It's in the same category of shows as as my my big fat American Gypsy wedding <laughs> and uh, you say yes to the dress and and all yeah. of that TLC stuff. No, uh, let's go into that for a second. Actually, the difference between sixteen-year-olds nowadays compared to then, yeah, in the eighteen hundreds, like oh yeah, was do you think there was more of an innocence back then? Well, I think when you were sixteen, a lot of girls probably were were married at that stage. Okay, don't don't you think so? Um, yeah, in a way, yeah. In another way, I'm not sure. I suppose, yeah, no, you're right. Back then it was a kind of a done thing. Like if they were getting into college age and hadn't been married yet, they were kind of looked down on, weren't they? Well, and and maybe like I'm I'm not a history major here. I'm I'm not gonna pretend to traditional know things and arranged marriages and yeah all that stuff. All of that, like I I know that they always say over here that when you especially like uh, out on the countryside when you got your confirmation that was that was you being an adult and that was at the yeah. age of like 14 15 yeah well for sure like i have stories from the likes of my grandfather who was he was already out working at the age of 14 like yeah you know, it was just things were done differently i suppose yeah but do and you think there was i know we talked about it in 17 come sunday but like there must have been more of an innocence there or was it just the same but less obvious or less publicly what's the word expressed it's a good question um i guess there are several factors to take into consideration here like on one hand you could say that uh being more open 
uh, like closer to what we are today. There are a lot of unnatural things about this age, namely social media and fucking uh, uh, like like having a computer in your hand at all times. But but being being more open about uh, about sexuality in many ways is is very natural and in many ways uh you don't have to go far back to to see a more oppressed society in a way so do you think that it's an oppression as opposed to an innocence then because i just mean looking back on old ireland and videos or documentaries or even movies nowadays that are depicted from that time like you would see dances for example and my grandmother has described this to me as well where you have men on one side of the floor and women on the other one of them asks the other to dance and they might meet up for a few walks and they'll go a courting and a courting will literally be going for walks. They'll not hold hands. They'll just chat and walk together. And then maybe two or three weeks later, the man will ask the woman's dad if he can marry her. And if she says yes, that's it. And they get married. And that's what courting was Yeah, back in the day. Like, is that an oppression or is it a tradition no. or is it an innocence? Do you know what I mean? And even like the fi- 1950s, you can see it in America, like in the old movies. This, um, yeah, but, but yeah, no, and and that's that's a big question, and it's very hard to answer um, when you're not in that time period because it's hard to like to for if if you or me travel back in time it would feel like oppression but when it's mm-hmm. it's hard when you're not in it and you haven't grown up with it and it's not like cuz cuz tradition and society and and just how how people live that 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 it has such a big effect on on how you feel about things too like so yeah. so if if that is how society was it might have felt completely normal like but i definitely think when this song was written and or not when it was written but when it was written about was a time when romance was a much more easily accessible thing because of the innocence of the time yeah would i be wrong in saying that no uh, or, or is or it maybe, just a nostalgia from now Nowadays, looking back, like this, I'm just talking about like the depictions that I see in the media and what I've been brought up to see from back then is that back then was a very innocent time and it seemed so much more romantic, not in a widespread way, but as in actually in terms of romance, like you're talking everything back then looked like fucking fairy tales and especially when you hear it in the songs as well, this, this whole romantic artistic thing about meeting the girl and yeah all of that there's there's never anything even veering towards explicit or raunchy or <laughs> it's always innocent is yeah, kind of what i'm getting yeah at. you're probably right that that that's an element of it um yeah. i think you have to take into consideration that um if if you didn't want that thing that was looked at as uh, the right thing to do by society, you had very few options of what to, uh, what to actually do. So it, it's it was very mono mono romantic. I'm not, saying we should be, I'm not saying we should be expecting straight up pornography. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But no, like, I, 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 guess I just yeah. mean 
Like even to get no, but to get a little bit un un PG for a minute, folks. Make sure those children are going outside for a cigarette for the next minute or two. But like <laughs> the difference between a strip club nowadays and a peep show in the nineteen twenties. Have you ever seen any depictions in movies or documentaries about peep shows in like vaudeville era? Yeah, isn't that type like um. They they basically they have long johns on, yeah. or, or pajama pants under underneath the dress and you can barely see an ankle. That's what I mean, yeah. And they're lifting up the dress and the men are hooting and dancing around. <laughs> it's just all it's all playing into what I'm talking about. I just wanted to use it as an example. You can bring the kids in from the fag outside. Now. <laughs> I am not to pick. I am not condoning smoking any kind from anyone let alone children <laughs> no but yeah no I, I but i i get what you're saying and it, it is in many ways it's it's very romantic um it's very romantic it, it's a different way to of looking at love altogether like the, because things were expected to last in a different yeah. way and and for many that probably was a, a happier more innocent time because there wasn't so many things that were designed to to destroy your relationship society wise yeah. and there wasn't they didn't have that feeling necessarily mm-hmm. because society was different they people men nor women had uh had a feeling of needing to have had so and so many partners or having had several uh uh, several partners to just to 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 have experienced uh, a few different things before they finally settled down all of those things that that exist in in a lot of young people's lives today like i i would i would say that probably a lot of young people i know i know i probably was one uh, wouldn't wouldn't have been comfortable with just finding a uh, a partner at the age of say 16 and then settling for that that would probably have, have felt uh very oppressive in a way uh mm-hmm. today and it probably didn't for a lot of people back then but but then again like if if you were a little bit different uh i think there was a lot of there must have been a lot of sadness uh a lot of people that didn't settle uh with either yeah. with anyone or with the person that they were chosen for them and yeah. for them there, there there might not have been the option of yeah. of finding like-minded people or or certainly not if like gay people um or people with with different uh different sexual preferences or asexual pre- like all of the things that are more thank god accepted they there there are still there are still fights to be fought but but all yeah. of those things they they existed back then it's not like that's an an invention mm-hmm. and all of those people that that had different that didn't conform with with what society found acceptable they must have been really really sad had absolutely had living hell a lot of them and like even even the people that maybe didn't find someone from the ages of 16 to 24 25 when they're hitting the age of 30 and they haven't found a partner 
and they're not married, at least in Ireland, I don't know about in Norway or other countries, but if you were 30 years of age back in the day in Ireland and weren't with someone, you were considered some kind of feckin' social outcast. Like, people would think you were a weirdo. What's wrong with that man? Why isn't he married? What the fuck is he doing up on that hill living in that house on his own? Yeah. He must be an oddball. And then, because of that, no one would go near you anyway, and then you're never going to find someone, you know? Yeah. So there was an awful lot of people that were considered kind of social outcasts living alone up on hills, or if they were going out in the village trying to meet people or make friends, no one would go near them because they're like, he's not even married. What the fuck is wrong with him? <laughs> exactly, you know, which yeah. It's, it's, it's a sad thing to think of, but that was the way it was. Yeah. If you hadn't already found someone by that time, there's something wrong with you and yeah. people stay away from you. So it's not going to help. But yeah, um, it, that being said, like you said, I think relationships are a lot more fleeting these days. But as you said, maybe that's because we have those freedoms that we wouldn't have had back then. It's it's hard you to... You would have also become a social outcast for getting divorced back at that time. Yeah. It was unheard of, so... Yeah. No, th- there's there's good and there's bad, and there are definitely bad things about the the life we live today, like the the, the pressure the th- from social media and from, from influencers and celebrities the world over is uh, ruining people's life all mm-hmm. around the world, like that's that's just like we've we've traded some problems for for other problems but but altogether like the um, the freedom is at least when when you when you're used to having the freedoms of today i i certainly consider them them um very healthy and something to cherish and you can look at a lot of places around the world where where they don't have them and uh that that exists today and uh yeah i i'm i'm sure they're not all happy it's all built around society and culture i suppose like most people in ireland in the late 1800s wouldn't have known those freedoms existed exactly yeah you don't miss what you don't know exists. Exactly. Which is tough to think of in itself. But yeah, we're getting very deep here. <laughs> we're getting very deep. Do you want to go? Al- everything you want to say about all of that and the innocence and the oppression and blah, blah, blah. The romanticism makes for some feckin' lovely songs. Yes, that is. That is a perfect segue back to to the lyrics, which I promised. Now I, I can't not read them because... Someone is gonna call us out. Um, since I Give said us your I best would. Poetic voice. Yeah. <clears throat> when you were sweet sixteen, by James Thornton. When first I saw the love light in your eye, I dreamt the world held naught but joy for me, and even though we drifted far apart, I never dream but what I dream of thee. I love you as I never loved before. Since first I met you on the village green, come to me or my dream of love is o'er. I love you as I loved you when you were sweet, when you were sweet sixteen. Last night I dreamt I held your hand in mine, and once again you were my happy bride. I kissed you as I did in old Lang Syne, as two the church we wandered side by side 
I love you as I never loved before. Since first I met you on the village green, come to me or my dream of love is o'er. I love you as I loved you when you were sweet 16. It's actually sad when you think about the setting that this was actually written in, at least from what I was told by the Furies. Like he wrote, and the second verse does lend itself to that. He wrote this song several years after the death of his wife. Yeah. No, it's apparently. And when you read it like that, it's um, and listen to every single word. It's it's like. Or maybe now that I think of it, I'm a little bit confused because his wife supposedly had a hit with this song. So I'm thinking possibly the second verse was written after her death. And maybe that's why the first verse is so prominent in some recordings, but not in others. This yeah. is a pure hypothetical, I'm guessing. Hmm. I did, I d- and I d- the d- second I verse does kind of sound like she's already passed away. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Last night I dreamt I held your hand in mine. Hmm. And once again, you were my happy bride. Well, it could technically just be the redreamt nostalgia, of, of yeah. yeah, the nostalgia. But, but, nevertheless, like, if you think of someone that has lost someone, and and you hear that line from from the yeah. uh, chorus, "Come to me, I'm, or my dream of love is over," like yeah. that is. Do you want me to draw you into yet another sad story? We'll get all, all the poor listeners here will be pulling out the tissues. Oh, I guess I we have time for, for for one more short sad story. Yeah, go on. <laughs> I was playing with the Furies in Luton and an old woman requested that song and we played it for her and she sat at the front with her, I presume it was her daughters or her granddaughters and she started crying and she came up to me at the end and hugged me and said she was from Limerick. And she loved Limerick and she used to listen to the Furies every day with her husband. And any time they came to her town, they always went. And it was their favorite song and it was their anniversary song and yada, yada, etc., etc. But her husband had died maybe five or six years ago. And she hadn't heard the song since. But oh. the Furies came and she went to hear the song. And she just said it was a moment like, but then she said, like I said, she was from Limerick. But she hadn't been home to Ireland in over 50 years. And she was just like, these. this is one of a hundred stories that I had while traveling around England with the Furies and meeting these people and talking to them because these are the kind of people that go to these gigs and that want to hear these songs, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> George Fury always like, he, he's always has, I wouldn't say the reservations, but he always has mixed feelings about it. He says, you make these people happy by playing them these songs, but they look so miserable. Like they're all crying in the first five rows. <laughs> and sometimes he'd be going out on stage and he'd be looking at me going, all right, Josh, let's go make some more grannies cry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Like it, it's such a sad story. Like, and especially when I met her, I was pure upset after meeting her. I was like, Jesus Christ. And I said, why don't you just go home? And she said, I can't. Why would I go home? What's there? Nothing. Her family is all in England, like, but yeah, yeah. Well, that's what you're dealing with. She she does have, if if she's asking what is in Limerick, well, the All Ireland hurling cup, <laughs> the Liam McCarthy, the Liam Did McCarthy. They deserve it. 
They did deserve it. That was oh, serious. They, oh, they absolutely did. Right. They, that was that was just a complete like they just ran Cork over. Mm-hmm. I think they ran the whole country over this that year. Was, they're, they're a bulldozer. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, not not to get into that, not to not to ruin the sad story, but yeah. <laughs> no, we can we can move on from the sad story now. I'm tired of making grannies cry this evening. Yeah, I mean, I I don't it, think that's a sad sight in, on its own. Like it's like seeing a sad little puppy thinking of a granny crying. I don't want to do that. <laughs> and I don't think we've time to to make it up to the to the people. We've told a lot of sad stories, and we're 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 an hour into this, so. So, uh, yeah, we're hitting towards Tour Laura time, are we? <sighs> we we're we're getting we're getting close, but but for for sure, uh, regardless of whether a song makes you happy or makes you sad, like I just want to once again be that guy that just points out the 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 power of of the folk song. And I mean, any song can make you feel stuff. You can go, you can be on the dance floor and you can hear a, a great Avicii hit and you can lift your finger in the air and you can dance and be <laughs> Why happy. your finger instead of your hand? Uh, just, just I don't know, finger. like that. Uh, have like, you, you seen point, a lot what of... What are you pointing at? Is that yeah, how you but, dance? But no, but a lot of DJs do that. Raise your fingers in the air. But, like ha, you just don't but you've, see, you've seen DJs do this. You've seen like I I don't know if it's a Vici or if it's um David uh, David Baguetta uh like as I like to call him um that does the finger in the air but but definitely there's definitely one of the big DJs and probably several that just puts the finger in the air and points to the sky as people dance. What's he pointing at? What's the po- what's the point? Lol. I don't I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> But I'm losing the point. Um, <laughs> uh, any like music can make you feel stuff, but folk music ha- is is so unique in having. Uh, yeah, I I'm just repeating myself. But songs made written a hundred years. If a song makes song, you sad, if a song makes you sad, it's obviously reminding you of something good. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, sorry for. Speaking over you there. No, no, no. You, you, you're just underlining the points, but, but the fact that songs, the folk songs, have that power, uh, because they've been there for generations and generations, and and a song written a hundred and twenty three years ago, can remind, uh, a woman in her what now seventies, eighties of, of her husband. I think she was in her eighties. Yeah. So the, so the song was written in the 1800s and she listened to it with her husband in maybe 50 years after that, 60, 70 years after that. And then another 50 years after that, she's she's sitting there in the theatre in, in England and she's listening to a band of Irish musicians playing that song. And it reminds her of, of her husband and she's there crying. And that is that is beautiful. And it's many years of history that have landed her and you in that position, in that place, and uh, sort of facilitated that meeting. And that is very different from from a song uh, played by a DJ on a dance floor, at least very often. 
those are are they don't have that they don't have that history yeah <clears throat> you won't have people in 50 years crying when they hear WAP on the radio <laughs> And that is a great place to end the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, no, but thanks, Sarah Louise Lockyer, for for uh, asking for the song. I know that you you were sitting there with Josh in the bar. I know that Josh got got fairly scattered that night. He told me Just at don't least tell anyone that uh, he at least <laughs> told me that he. He was bollocks the day after. I I don't know what he was doing that night, but he it certainly had an effect on me on him the day after. But you did text <laughs> me when you said we just got a request here in the pub, and then we got the email, and um, it, we love requests, so please. Send it must us be in making a difference, Christian, if I'm over in another country and I'm sitting in a bar and someone sitting beside me requests a song for Tora Laura. Yeah, we must be doing something right. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's actually maybe that's the definition of having made it. I think so. Yeah, we're kind of a big deal now. We're kind of a big deal, and we have a back catalogue and everything. This is episode <laughs> twenty four of Turalura, and you can be a part of deciding what we're talking about, and you can do that in several ways. You could do it by sending an email to Turalura Podcast at gmail dot com. That's two o's in the tura and two o's in the lura and one o in the podcast so it's ooh 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 ooh, ooh at gmail.com <laughs> tura lura podcast at gmail.com and we have the facebook by there's two o's in that as well yeah tura lura facebook. on the facebook courtesy of mark zuckerberg and we have the instagram now, courtesy of Mark Zuckerberg, Turalura Podcast is the handle and you can rate and review us on several different podcast platforms. And uh, if you do so, we would appreciate it if you gave us those five stars and write us uh, some some lovely, lovely little words. So if, if you have anything nice to say, you can send us a review or an email if you have anything bad to say then just send us an email um <laughs> and Keep it pro- private <laughs> but yeah but the most important part is that you're enjoying this show and if you do then just make sure you subscribe and you listen to every single episode because we're we haven't had any emails saying that we're absolute shite talkers yet anyway so no that's well. that's true could be worse <laughs> Dear lads ye are a heap of shite <laughs> I mean, maybe we haven't made it after all, Josh, because I don't think you can say that you've made it on the internet until, until you, you've had until hate, everyone gives hate out mail. About you. you you need to you need to get some haters. So please don't tell them that, or they will write in and tell us we're <laughs> shit. <laughs> Kelly, will you send us in some hate mail so we can think that we've actually made it? Um, yeah, no, that's that's it for me. That's it for me from my bed in my apartment on a lovely Thursday evening. I'm looking forward to putting this up tomorrow with close to no editing and uh, just, uh, yeah. And I'll be knee deep in a health and safety exam when you're working on that. Getting ready to pack my bag to head to Cardiff to play music for some lovely individuals. I bid you good luck and safe travels, Josh, and I'm looking forward to the next one. This is Tour Lure for me. Tour Lure from myself.
And even though we drifted, what? Drifted. Because <laughs> it actually says drifted here. In King. <laughs> it's wrong. It's drifted. Okay, let's let's. I don't know if I'm keeping this in or editing out 